Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to hear from you. Yeah, well, good to be heard. I'm actually a little froggy here, so I apologize to all of our listeners at home. Well, you don't sound like the character from Little Rascals, though. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I'm, you know, yeah. I sound like Kathleen Turner. <laughs> <laughs> back in the good days. Back in, back in her fatal attraction days. No, that yes. was Glenn no, Close. That was Glenn Close. She was uh, a body heat. Body heat, that's the one. That with well, William Hurt, who just passed that's away. The, right. We're very current. <laughs> yes, that was, <laughs> yes, that was, the body heat was what, in the 70s? Early 80s. Oh, it was early 80s. Don't don't extradate me. It was, it was the 80s. It was, it was a talkie. That's all I know. Uh, yeah, it was in color. <laughs> in fact, I have to look that up now. Body heat. I think, I guess uh-huh. it's 1983. I'm going to guess it's 83. And body <laughs> heat was made, nah, 1981. Oh. So it was closer to you being, being it was on the cusp. Me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, that was a nice little diversion. Why don't we continue with uh, talking about actual stuff? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so it looks like uh, old Pat King, the, one of the organizers of the uh, the trucker convoy, is, as we record this, still cool in his heels in jail. Yeah. And, you know, so Tamara Leach was released finally on like $25,000 bail and a whole pile of conditions. Um, and Pat King, who who's, was has been arrested for mischief obstructing police uh disobeying a court order uh and uh and there was one other charge in there which you know aren't big charges and normally you get out on bail pretty quickly and people are yelling like oh you know canada is this this terrible country we have political prisoners it's like he has muffed every court appearance you know i the courts would love to release him if they could get like some a decent certainty and, and some some decent um, conditions, but last time he showed up in court on Friday, mm-hmm. and he had two new lawyers because he's been going through lawyers the way most people go through socks. That's right. And and the two lawyers didn't show up. And one of the things I mean I remember at law school one of the things that they told you was it's show important up. to show up. <laughs> <laughs> like they say, showing up is half the battle. If you I, don't well, show up, there is no battle. Can you imagine? what kind of the quality of individuals that he hangs out with that they can't find a certainty uh, that that the court de- deems to be credible um and for for such you know small charges it's not yeah. like he's he's up on uh murder charges or anything as you meant you mentioned the charges they're relatively small charges but he can't muster anybody he knows that the court can take seriously or or believe yeah, you know or basically is just somebody who is a member of the community who has a job um you know has, has some roots and is going to be basically a certainty is there it's right in the word you have to be sure that you know, they will make sure that you are obeying whatever bail conditions there are and so you just have to be basically a decent person and he hasn't been able to come up with anybody person. in his circle of friends and colleagues who is, you know, acceptable to the court to vouch for him that he will behave. That's a moment when you got to sort of step step back and look at your life. Go that uh, mm. the, that you, you you don't know a single person in the community, like anywhere amongst these connections with these these people that you're supposedly a, a leader of. You can't find any that are trust deemed to be trustworthy or can satisfy the requirements of a certainty. 
you you're, you're basically is a Yiddish word for dreadlegger, which is I've never uh, heard that one. Yeah, dreadlegger, which is exactly what he is, which is basically a low life. Well, and so on Friday, you know, they, they kind of looked and said, I, you know, I don't have you in the book here and your lawyers aren't here. So I can't release you today because there's no one to argue your case. So it was, it was on the docket for today, which is Monday, March 21st. And Pat King showed up with a lawyer, which is great, by the name of Cal Rosemond. And the lawyer says, I haven't had a chance to speak to my client. <laughs> I'm sure he's not laughing about it. Well, in no, and in fact, he, he complained, King complained in court that none of his team of lawyers seemed to know what's going on, <clears throat> which is, you know, a great endorsement for, you know, if you're going to put your uh, ad in the yellow pages, you know, like, don't know what's going on. Well, I don't think that uh, if you're putting an ad in the yellow pages, you're going to advertise represented Pat King. <laughs> I don't think that's a real draw. Or, or maybe for people of a certain uh, social strata, it is. But it's at this point, it's somewhat comical that he's still in jail. He should be out by now. Um, and these other freedom rallies that are going, I mean, I love what I love the American freedom rally or the, 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 the trucker convoy. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. It just circled the city. <laughs> it was nothing because the National Guard was mobilized and they, the the Americans weren't gonna weren't gonna play footsie with these guys like uh, we did in in Ottawa. These, the, the, this was gonna be taken taken down and taken seriously. They weren't getting three weeks hot tubs and bouncy castles. You know they were. It was gonna be taken seriously and shut down very quickly. So I think that this. The, I mean the convoy, American convoy, is a bust. Well, you know absolutely. And at this point, you really have to wonder. What freedoms they're talking about? Oh, just to finish up on Cap Pat King, Joe, just in case you're oh. watching, he uh, they didn't get anything done today uh, because again his lawyer hadn't had a chance to talk to him. They asked for a publication ban, and the judge is like, I, "I've got nothing in front of me that you have to argue this thing. You just mm -hmm. don't ask for it." And uh, it's it's now been adjourned until Thursday, so he's still going to be cool in his heels at least until Thursday again. But people are, are yelling. You know, it, political prisoner is like, no, uh, you know, I've seen people saying, well, well Justin Trudeau is, is keeping him in there. I'm like, Justin Trudeau has nothing to do with the bail system. As a matter of fact, you know, the whole the whole thing with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould was a complaint that Trudeau wasn't interfering. He wasn't really, but interfering with the justice system. And now they're going like, well, Trudeau, you know, is, is interfering with it, or Trudeau should be acting to, to let him out. And none of that happens in our judicial system. It's a justice of the peace who was appointed, uh, justice of the peace are appointed by the province. Um, so not even the same level of government and run completely independently of political interference and all the rest. So Pat King is still going to sit in jail, at least until Thursday, until he can come up with a good certainty, a good argument, and, and, and the lawyer who shows up. But the, but the freedom stuff right now people are yelling about you know freedom and going well what freedoms you know mask mandates are coming off i think it's foolish but they're coming off they're, they're lifting the border restrictions on vaccinations not just on our side of the border but on other sides of the border what you know, I, I scratch my head when people are, are you know driving around in their their ford f-150s with a big freedom flag you know, like, so what part of your life isn't free 
in any meaningful sense. Well, I mean, they've they've uh, drank the Kool-Aid that Americans have to the point where they fetishized the term freedom. And it no longer means what it meant when, you know, the founding fathers in the U.S. put together uh, their paperwork about freedom. It, it's now about uh, we want to do whatever we want. And I but I, I don't see what is impeding them in doing that at this point, unless they're against laws, um, uh, stoplights, uh, speed well, limits. Like what yeah, like, what is like what is Homer Simpson, Homer Simpson? Don't you hate pants? Um, it, it's the freedom of a four year old. It, it's, it's not really freedom. It's license because freedom in a society comes with responsibilities and your freedoms end when you start impinging on the freedoms of other people and there's give and take and all the rest but their freedom seems to be i want to do what i want when i want i want to be able to go into a kindergarten and smoke a cigar and uh you know i all, all these things that no one can do because we've got all these rules about how we can live together as a whole bunch of people on top of each other and I posted something on, on Twitter that uh, there's uh, something called the uh, the Freedom House, which is a um, it, it rates people's access to political rights and civil 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 liberties in 210 countries around the world through an annual freedom survey, which takes indexes 60 key factors in in countries' political and social life, and comes up with a score out of 100. And Canada scored 98 out of 100. In the 2002 annual Freedom in the World report, which is 2022, us, you mean? I'm sorry, 2022. Yeah. Um, and that ranks us fifth in the world. I mean, above us are, are you know Finland and some of the Scandinavian countries. And the United States has been going down constantly over the last decade, and it now scores 83 out of 100, according to the Freedom Index, as opposed to our 98 out of 100. But people still point to the United States going like, look, those guys are freer than us. It's like, no, they're not. I mean, tell that to a Texas woman who wants uh, you know, to have control over her reproductive rights or a black voter in a southern state who you know, can't, get to the, can't get a ballot uh, in the election. You know, those are real freedoms that we're talking about here, not minor inconveniences like having to wear a little piece of cloth over your face if you're on the subway or on the bus. Yeah, the, I was out today, first, this being uh, the 21st, the uh, first day that mask mandates were uh, dropped here in Ontario and most in most places. Um, I went out to a uh, big box store, um, oh. pet, pet value actually. I was going to say bought some big boxes. Yes. Yeah. And, um, I picked had to take my dog in for uh, grooming and, and pick him up. Um, and I noticed that there's some people wearing masks and some people not wearing masks. And I found myself wondering when I looked at people why they weren't wearing masks like okay this guy clearly the way he's looking at me with derision because i'm wearing a mask big tall guy with a mustache probably drives the ford f-150 you talked about um he is probably a freedom guy um not gonna wear my mask my freedom and then you find there's other people like you know middle-aged couple not wearing them not wearing masks and then there was a, a young couple, they're probably 19, 20 years old, not wearing masks, and they didn't seem to be politically posturing. Or I was like, why? And then there's one cash, cashier wearing a mask, one cashier not wearing a mask. It's just so, I, I'm, I just find myself curious as to what was the decision-making 
that went into your choice to wear the mask or not wear the mask? I'm curious about what that's going to be, what the, the multiple reasons are that, that may surface as for why people chose to wear or not wear a mask. It's, yeah. I'm, just find, I'm just finding it very curious. Well, as Doug Ford said, uh, you know, Premier Ford said, well, just use your best judgment. And the problem is a lot of people's judgment's pretty crappy. Um, they make really bad decisions for really stupid reasons. As an example, Doug Ford is Premier of Ontario. Well, well there, you, know, you know, Ontario had a collective uh, you know, um, uh, misstep where they, uh, they just said, you know what, I'm Agator Avon. How bad could it be? We'll give this guy a chance. Yeah, whenever, um, politically, whenever you ask how bad can it be, don't ask that <laughs> yeah because because it can get worse yeah and 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 often does no but you know people's again you know the, the thought process and a lot of people i've talked to people who are are a little more open to the idea that society should be opening up and that covid is kind of done you know done mm -hmm. or that they're prepared to take the risks because they consider the risk to be to them personally to be small um you know, and you and I generally travel in fairly, you know, I like to think sensible and well-educated circles. But even among them, you know, there are people who, you know, don't apprise the risk, I think, properly. Um, because it's not just a risk to you, it's the risk to the people around you if you're not masking. Um, you know, if you want to take the risk, you know, freedom. It's about responsibilities. If you want to get and go out and get COVID, go out and get COVID. Go, that, that's great. But I'm worried about you giving COVID to other people. Well, that, yeah, if, absolutely. You haven't if made was, that choice. If it was just about people deciding it for themselves, I'd be, uh, uh, I can't say I would be fine with them not wearing a mask because they get it and then they go in and they tax our, uh, our uh, health industry, uh, you know, our, our hospitals and so on. But, and that, that still continues to be the, the issue is the, the fear of the, the rise in hospitalizations as a result of the masks going away. I mean, we will basically see now, it, it, this, is, this is a test, if cases rise exponentially, well, then those people who said masks didn't do anything are gonna be proven wrong. Now, it's a fairly high stakes game to be playing. Uh, I don't think that, uh, I don't know if mask mandates will ever come back at this point in time. Well, they have, they have come back in Europe. I mean, Austria just uh, on the weekend announced that they were reintroducing mask mandates because they took them off a few weeks ago and they're, they're now enjoying a spike in COVID cases. I mean, Denmark was the same. You know, it, there, there are countries that people point to from time to time. You know, people used to point to Hong Kong going like, well, Hong Kong, you know, they don't have a mask mandate and, you know, they're dealing with COVID and Hong Kong is in one of the worst uh, you know, their death rate is, has just in the last week or two has, has gone up incredibly. And, you know, they're dealing with a real pandemic of cases in Hong Kong, but people at one point were pointing to them as the ideal. Denmark was another one that the, you know, the anti-mask, anti-vax, anti-lockdown, shutdown people were pointing to. And Denmark uh, um, raised uh, all of its restrictions you know, about a month and a half ago. And they, they're experiencing a real spike in COVID deaths right now, too. So you, you just look around and see, you know, a smart person doesn't learn from their experience. They learn from other people's experience. Yes. And, you know, it's like, oh, is that stove hot? You know, someone else touched it and they burned themselves. I don't have to touch it myself. You look around the world and see what's going on. Right. And whenever they're taking off mask mandates, 
they're finding that the new strain, which has now killed, you know, Omicron has killed more people than Delta. So they talk about it being mild. Some people experience it more mildly, but it has now killed more people than the strain that we said was the more deadly one. Um, so it's people are, are starting to realize that maybe we're doing this a little too early. So you're seeing a lot of pushback from the schools, especially because a third of new COVID cases are in schools, um, which, you know, the school, uh, that the province doesn't want to talk about that because it interferes with the school opening, which interferes with parents being able to go to work. Uh, so- and that's, know, they, and that's exactly the uh, mathematics that yeah. are involved in this. It, it, it's, it is not really about public health at that point. Oh, it's, it's never a, been about public health. It, it's about- uh commerce and uh his his uh, donors wanting his people their people back to work yeah and and betting that if there is going to be you know and they're, they're actually seeing a, a rise now because you know they they did what conservatives always do uh, remember when harper came in and he gutted statistics canada yes because it was telling them stuff they didn't want to know yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the data was saying, like, if you do this, then it has bad consequences. It's like, well, the answer to that is get rid of the data that tells us there's bad consequences. Yeah, that's, that's, that, yeah. it, it was like the, that's a great solution. It was like the guaranteed income project that uh, was brought in under the last liberal government. Yeah. And was a three year project. And one of the first things that the Ford government did was about two years in, it was almost to the end of the project where you're going to get some real data and learn some real lessons from it. They canceled it yeah. uh, because they didn't want it to succeed. They didn't want the data that was coming out. So the, the provincial government, and you've seen this at the science table with some notable departures from it, uh, that they've said, you know, we're not going to track this stuff anymore. We're not going to release, co you know, we're not going to do the briefings anymore. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to test anymore. Because when we tested, we found out that everyone had COVID. Uh, so we're just going to stop testing anymore. Well, that was judge. like uh, uh, Trump who claimed that uh, the COVID cases were high because they tested more. That's right. And, and the, you know, if we didn't test anyone, no one would have COVID. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so it it, it, it beggars the imagination how people can be like, you know, you're listing the charges against uh, Pat King. I really think they need to, they need to create a charge, criminal stupidity. <laughs> I, oh, you, I, we need to build a lot of jails. Uh, well, uh, Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not necessarily saying they need to go to jail, but maybe house arrest. Yeah, or at least a ticket or something. Something. There's something for criminal stupidity, because um, what we're talking about is criminal stupidity. And in the case of not collecting data, it is criminal. It, it is it, it is negligence, deliberate negligence. It is imposed ignorance so that the government won't have to do what a responsible government would do and can instead do what its donors want it to do. Yeah, and, and so the, we do know that because there are people you know, doing wastewater testing and all the rest that mm -hmm. COVID is actually going up uh, right now. You mean it, it, it bottomed out and it's starting to rise as, as it has in all these other countries that did exactly the same thing. And like you said, they use the, the only way that they judge success in the fight against COVID is hospitalizations. And, you know, they didn't even want to talk about deaths anymore. No. They just talk about hospitalizations. Yep. 
And as long as you know the hospital, you know the, the healthcare system can handle it, they're prepared to let as many people get sick as possible, as long as you don't show up at the hospital. And yep. that's, I guess, where the mildness comes in, unless you're one of the poor, unlucky suckers who actually dies of it. Yeah, and it's if the whole thing, if you don't look, then it's not a problem. And shoot the messenger, which they've been doing. I mean, look in the states how they. Uh, demonized uh, Fauci because he was telling them things they didn't want to hear. Yeah. And that's yeah. ultimately the only reason that he was, I mean, they were saying that he was a liar and he was a criminal and oh, that he's profiting by this. Yeah. And that he, he owns patents to some of the stuff that they, and he's worked with all these evil organizations in the past that are pushing COVID on people to make a, make a buck. And it's like, it's all, you know, he's a public health official. It's all crazy. Yeah. It's all insane. But they demonized him because he dared. I mean, Trump wanted to put out one narrative and Fauci being a proper public servant in the health industry uh, came forward and said, no, this is what's really happening. So it embarrassed the, it embarrassed Trump. And therefore everybody who supports Trump had to run to his side because how dare you inter how dare you, uh, you know, contradict the great man. And he has been turned into a pariah amongst in some places with horrible stories across uh, tabloid headlines about the poor man. Um, and that's well, that, and as he here. said, he, he's he's had, uh, you know, he now has security because he has so many death threats. Yeah. These people, you know, people are blaming him for COVID, which is, you know, putting it completely on its head because, you know, he's the guy who even under Trump fought valiantly to protect people from COVID. And instead, they're blaming him. You know, he he's basically a medieval uh, well poisoner is basically the way they've cast him yeah. as, uh, you know, the person who uh, actually, you know, he's pointed out that there's a disease. He must be the cause of it. Yes, it, that that's up there with the logic of uh, the one who smelt it, dealt it. <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this it's the same juvenile logic. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. And if they're they're you know, in Ford. Ford has, has, and we can probably pivot into discussing this now because the you know we June is is around the corner and the Ontario election. Ford has, we're in a situation where um, it used to be that some people who were not particularly uh, ready for the job got elected, and in the course of performing their duties grew into the job in, in greater and lesser degrees. Sure. Well, that didn't happen with Rob Ford. <laughs> it didn't happen with Donald Trump. And it didn't happen with Doug Ford. Doug Ford continues to be in over his head. He is not premier material. He, is not, he doesn't have the intellect for it. He doesn't have the endurance for it. He doesn't have the wisdom for it. I don't um, think he have the interest in it either because he doesn't. he barely shows up for... For, for work. Well, and he, is, did I read somewhere that he started the whole business about call him and he'll fix potholes again? Or yeah. Something, yeah, like that, no. Not a premier's job. Not, it's like <laughs> if, if, if you're doing the pothole filler's job, is the pothole filler going to do your job as premier? Because I don't think so. And it's- Yeah, worth a try. <laughs> he's just not grown it. And, and he's had opportunities, especially, you know, with- uh, Right, you know, he could have risen to the occasion during COVID. He did not, and yet he's still in the polls. Um, 
favored to win re-election. Now, it's still early. People are still coming out of COVID and coming out of winter. So thoughts about a provincial election are just not front of mind. And I'm a firm believer that people really only start to seriously think about their choices about two weeks before the election. Yeah. Um, I, before that, whatever they, they will tell a pollster, whatever happens to be going through their mind at that time, but it, it, they're not really focused. Uh, so there's still time for Andrea Horvath or Stephen Del Duca to get up ahead of steam and capitalize on discontent. Because I think Ford's disapproval rate is something like 60%. It's not the lowest in the, in the country. Uh, Jason Kenney, and what is the name of the woman who was who's just elected premier recently? Who um, took over from uh, from Mo? Yeah. Um, yeah. Put, I, put me on spot. Yeah, yeah, her. Yeah, yes. her. Um, <laughs> yes. and, she and she's is, immediately in trouble. Yeah, she she's a mess. Um, so uh, there's still the opportunity for people to grow to to build on that discontent. Um, and the, you know, the argument is, don't tell me who, uh, who not to vote for. Tell me why to vote for you. Well, that didn't really work last time because we voted for Doug Ford because we were told not to vote for uh, uh, Kathleen, Kathleen Wynne. Yeah, so I, but, but I have my doubts about whether either Horvath or Del Duca have it in them to pull it out and, and really make this a race. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, it'd be nice to have much stronger opposition. I mean, I, I think uh, Del Duca has, is a great policy guy, but, you know, the packaging and the charisma and all the rest is, is not local, there, is lacking. Yeah. And, and Horvath is, she, this is going to be her fourth election, um, you know, three losses. And, you know, there's always moral victories that the NDP claims and, you know, all, all the rest. And, you know, they are opposition status but you really can't point to anything where they've really set the world on fire with ideas and all the rest they've been very you know it's the opposition job to react but mm -hmm. it hasn't you know, they haven't really even done a great job at that so it, it would be nice if there's someone there who you thought could really put up a fight because i think ford has got at least two big landmines coming in front of him okay. one of them is is covid because i think with the mask he wants to make people happy early and timing is everything in mm -hmm. an election we're going to be back you know i unfortunately i believe i think we're going to be back in a, a situation where we should be back to restrictions and masking within within six weeks i mean everyone's coming back from march break right now yeah um they've all you know they've taken everyone at their word they've gone to florida they've gone to palm springs they've gone to wherever they're going to uh, well I, I know somebody who just got back from india it's they're coming back and they're going to be bringing stuff with them uh you know and, and i don't mean just duty free you know they're, they're <laughs> going to be mingling and all the rest and, and bringing back uh, corona with them yeah. and it's going to be it's circulating in the community like you say your your people uh, at uh, at the big box stores are coughing and breathing all over each other mm -hmm. and you're going to see a real bloom of this in in you know four to six weeks and the decision will have to be made about masking or not and, and limited lockdowns again or restrictions mm -hmm. vaccine mm -hmm. passports and Ford's not going to do it. 
because it'll be political suicide that close to the election to, to reintroduce it instead of having waited a little bit now and then taking it off in three weeks, then just in terms of, you know, this isn't public health, this is just politics, then, you know, your, your worst days are going to fall after people have voted. Yeah. And, and so you're I, I, right. think that's, I think that's going to be a, a problem for him because I think it's, you know, we're going to be back in this again. Uh, just as people are starting to uh, take it, uh, pay attention to the election. There is one possibility with this that goes his direction that I can see. And that is that the pressure will be there to remask and the public is is tired of the masks. They've just gotten, you know, they've just got the ability to get rid of them and people start to get more comfortable taking them off over the next few weeks. And he may be seen as uh, he, he may be seen favorably by people who, who are not his supporters, but who don't want to go back to the masks. Yep. And they, you know, they're like, I, he's standing firm. We're not going to go back to masks. He's standing firm. It's for leadership. Us. Yeah, that could <clears throat> dovetail in his, you know, in his support. Now, I'm not saying it will. I'm saying that it could. Yeah. And, you know, the people who are. I mean, I say we're all tired of COVID, but the people who are still, you know, like we're never going back to that again. I'm tired of COVID. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to live my life. Uh, you know, they're they're his core supporters, um, and they are, you know, and if they vote, they're voting conservative. And I think the other landmine that uh, that Ford has got ahead of him is the uh, uh, the, the federal agreement on uh, child daycare. Yes. And, you know, maybe he's just being really cunning and will announce, you know, the week before the election. Guess what? We finally did the best deal possible. It's such a great deal. You won't believe how good a deal it was. It was worth holding out for. And we can go into this election knowing you're going to get ten dollar a day daycare. Mm -hmm. um, if he doesn't pull that off, uh, then you're going to have an awful lot of angry parents because that's worth a lot of money to people with young kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, the only thing that makes sense to me at this point in time is that he is holding off on making a deal so he can position it uh, time-wise and seem like the, uh, the rainmaker. Because uh, there's no other reason why he would, I mean, people want the, the $10 a day daycare. There's nothing he's going to be able to say that is going to convince people that they don't want it. There's no poison pill he's going to say is involved in this. Nobody is going, there's just no way that people are going to say, yeah, you know what? Doug Ford's right. It's worse if we get this than if we don't get it. So the only thing I can think of is that he is holding it for a major win and a major rush of good feelings closer to the election. I think he's going to pull a, you know, his version of an October surprise. Um, and, and I think that if, if that's not what he's holding off for, then he's even more incompetent and unable to read the room than I thought he was. Yeah, and I don't know if it's ideological, uh, you know, that they really just don't believe in, um, in in looking after children, which wouldn't be, you know, inconsistent with with conservative policies. No, not um, really. You know, certainly not on the public dime. Uh, you know, it's part of the small, you know, this is you know, more big government stuff, and that doesn't necessarily play well with some of their base. But, uh, you know, they say that the, the problem, one of the problems for the provincial government is that uh, the province of Ontario has the, you know, the early childhood education, which they say basically is daycare, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the, the JK 
Uh-huh. Um, and that they want the federal government to pay for that because the other provinces don't really have that. And the French federal government has said, no, we're not, you've got that in place. We're not paying for that. We're just paying for, you know, older children. So you're yeah. going to have to continue to pay that yourself. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, Doug Ford has, you know, if he's trying to run on an austerity budget, he has been giving away billions of dollars in revenue. Yep. You know, whether it was you know, getting rid of the, uh, the tags on your uh, on your car, which is going to cost, they say, a billion dollars uh, a year in lost revenue, which where are you going to make that up? I'm not sure. Or what are you going to cut? And I also I also don't know what his calculus is on that. People were people accepted that it wasn't something that it, it was something that everybody knew you you as long as you've owned a car, you've had to get that. Uh, yeah. And it's an annoyance, but it's 120 bucks. And it's, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's not as onerous. Car, yeah. A tank of gas these days. Yeah. It's not so onerous that people will be, will be cheering him for that. I just thought about it and thought, this is, th- this is really pandering to nobody. Well, and it's a typical conservative cut because it's, you know, it's really easy to give away a billion dollars to everyone at $120 each. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, and it doesn't make any difference in anybody's life. No, not at all. But a billion dollars in revenue makes a big difference to the province because that'll fund a hospital, it'll fund all kinds of services. I mean, it's really easy, you know, it's easy to give away a couple of nickels, but if everyone's giving you a nickel, it's really hard to, to make up that money again somewhere else because as the conservatives love to say, there's only one taxpayer. Someone's going to pay for this or you're going to pay for it in cut services. And they also lost, I, I'm not sure what they, it was just south of a billion dollars in revenue from tolls because they, they just decided to make a couple of uh, rural route toll roads toll free all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and it's, these are things which are not really going to um, put people in their, in their uh, category or, you know, in, in their voting column. These are minor things i understand that it's easy for me to say 120 dollars a year is minor um it's not for a lot of people i recognize that uh but there's no gonna be no groundswell of good feeling around what he's done and what they did it doesn't even rise to the buck of beer level of sort of like you know gut gut yay buck of beer yeah well it it, there's no alliteration for one thing no (laughs) um he they're then going to turn around and say a typical conservative well we our revenues are down so we have to make further cuts like these the 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 money that is being saved by uh, f- by drivers or c- vehicle owners in ontario uh, someone else is going to pay for that yeah there, this is, there's no free lunch so every time he announces something that releases any kind of fees that we're currently paying, that doesn't mean that we're now, uh, that the province's balance sheet as far as the individual costs of of living here are going to change. It just means that it switches it from one pocket to another. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But, you know, but that's that's the penny-wise, pound-foolish approach that, that conservative governments have had with with all kinds of minor minor little twiddles into tax rates and things that that make is like the cut to the gst which was which was ages ago now um it 
you know, if, if you are paying 2% less on your GST, you know, sure. No one like, no one liked the GST and, and, you know, 2% in your pocket and back, you know, stimulate the economy and all the rest, but it represented, I think it's 16 billion, 16, $17 billion every year that the federal government does not have yeah. to pay down the deficit or to, or to, you know, fund healthcare or um, provincial transfers. That, that's a lot of money. And, you know, what was it for? It was for a, a little tax cut that, that no one really noticed out of their pockets. Yeah, and that's the thing. These are things that, are, that people are not going to notice out of their pockets. What they do notice out of their pockets is the cost of daycare. And that's why I think he's holding this on so that he can seem like a rainmaker. Um, and he could, you know, it'll all be unicorns and rainbows. We've got a deal. So you're going to get your $10 daycare. And there'll be this, this general uh, good feeling, this feeling of relief, the, this feeling of joy. Because, I mean, for a lot of parents, it's, it's a killer. Um, yep. So there will be just such a rush of happiness that they're hoping he will coast on that into, you know, into a second term, where at the same time, somebody like uh, Horvath or Del Duca will seem like a scold. Like, hey, we're all happy. We got the daycare. Things are going great. And then, you know, it's summer, it's warm. And then Del Duca's like, he didn't do this right. And he screwed, uh, no one wants to hear a, da- a you know, a, a, a naysayer. So there's that possibility. Because I, I, the liberals could put forward some great policies. The thing is that policies rarely win elections. They need to be policies in conjunction with a leader that catches on with people. And yeah. Horvath is done. Uh, she proved herself last election to be really humorless. Um, she is comes across as a scold. And nobody wants a, a leader that you would not want to have a beer with. You know, that, that becomes, that's become the calculus. Um, because who would really want to hang out with Andrea Horvath? You get the sense that she is constantly serious, um, constantly disapproving. Forget it. There's, there's just no interest. And the NDP has not offered any real dynamic opposition to Ford. Now, it's possible that the media just isn't, hasn't been covering them. But that's also because they don't have anybody who's colorful. Because the media will, color, will cover colorful politicians. And they don't have anybody. They're bland. You know, they're beige. So they're done. The question is, can Del Duca capitalize on the discontent with Ford? And I remember in 1990 when the uh, uh, conservatives built up a narrative of discontent against the liberal government and people decided, you're right, but we don't like you either, conservatives. And so they went and elected the NDP. I'm not sure what kind of scenario could be similar to that now, because um, people can point out that effectively that Ford is not up to the job, has not done a good job, has been uh, AWOL during, or, or uh, snowmobiling during difficult times. He abdicated leadership during the trucker convoy. There's list after list of things that he's done wrong or, or uh, hasn't done at all. You can capitalize on that. But once you've got that sentiment, where do people then go and park their votes? And if you're not, if, if uh, Horvath isn't a persuasive place and Del Duca is not persuasive, well, people either don't vote or they just hold their nose and vote for what they know. 
Yeah, and but you know, like like you said, I mean, you know, people. You know, I don't think pay attention too much to policy. I mean, both the you know the NDP and the Liberals both have good basic policies, um, but the problem is you know the policy wonks aren't the ones who win against a populist. You know, someone who is really you know very very broad strokes uh, like uh, like Doug Ford is, and the only way to you know to to beat them politically is sure you have a great policy book for the people who want to read a phone book of of, of resolutions and policies with everything costed out and all the rest. I mean, you know, the conservatives didn't even didn't even have a policy book that going into the last election mm-hmm. and still won. Whereas, you know, the liberals and the NDP had, you know, costed out and well thought out policies. No one cared. Um, people have had a bit of a taste of Ford now and the people who love them love them even more. The people who didn't love them don't love them even more. And everyone in the middle is like, okay, give me a reason to vote for something else. And it's not going to be policy. It may be five policies. I mean, if you had like five policies, you know, and Ford had his buck of beer and, and all of his other kind of hokey populist stuff. But if you had five things that affected people's lives and that's what you hit every single day and didn't get distracted by all these little arcane points of policy, which you can implement when you're government, because there's lots of time when you're government to do this kind of stuff. But in an election, as I say, an election campaign is no time to talk policy. Yeah. Uh, you need something that is going to actually fire people's imaginations and give them a sense that you've got you know a real direction if you are end up being the leader of Ontario. And I think that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm worried that both the Liberals and the NDP are going to fall into the policy trap and have, you know, beautifully tailored and, and, and very inclusive covers to their policy books that no one's ever going to read. And they're going to go, I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. And I could be completely wrong. It is still early in the game. I mean, June is close. But it's still early in the game, you know, for for the campaign, and Del Duca could surprise me. Um, I don't think so, but he could surprise me. He'd need a super team behind him because, I mean, this is this is, I guess, rather facile. But I he doesn't look like a leader. He doesn't look like now. Neither does Ford, but. Del Duca, there's something about the narrowness of his face. Um, okay. I, I, I just, I look at him and I think he doesn't create a sense of confidence. He seems like a wonk. He looks like an intellectual wonk. And we need somebody who, who seems like they've got some leadership heft to them. And I don't see that he's got that. He seems like a backroom policy guy. And that, that's not going to sell. In Ontario, yeah, and you know, and, and it's terrible that you know, in the age of social media and and uh, you know, Instagram and all the rest, that you know, you you have to be a, a beauty queen in order to uh, to get people's uh, attention. Uh, it never certainly was the case. If you look at old pictures of old uh, politicians uh, sitting in the House of Commons, pretty much all men, there's some pretty ugly customers sitting around <laughs> there. Um, you know, it, it, you. I guess a photographer could make you look good, but you really didn't, you know, you weren't out there, you know, you know, you know, like a, like a Hollywood movie star, as much as politicians are expected to be out there now. And it's incredibly unfair. And women have fought against this, like you know, their entire, their entire lives. But, uh, you know, there is that sort of photogenic idea of what a politician, a dynamic person should look like. And if, if someone, 
for you know no fault of their own you know just uh, that's the way that they were born and that's the way they look um, you know don't fit that mold it, it can be an uphill battle for people um you know it, you know look at look at look at nixon look at you know some of those people those in the you know television is what you know killed nixon the first time around against kennedy mm-hmm. um that was just the thin edge of the wedge we are now living in the wall-to-wall image world that uh, people make snap judgments have short attention spans certainly don't want to read a lot about policy and make the decisions based on that and it's it's incredibly unfair and you, you definitely do not get the best people that way but it's it's just the way the world is these days. Well, and it's it's not limited just to uh, how pretty you are, and this applies to male and female. It's also your body language, and there are some people you you can see some politicians have been schooled in body language because mm-hmm. you will see them perf- move almost mechanically. Um, then there's others who are just naturally good speakers, naturally um, compelling speakers. And I have to watch Del Duca a few more times before I see whether he is or isn't. Um, he so far doesn't register with me as being particularly dynamic. Do I think he could do the job? Yeah, I do. Because I think that somebody who is a more of a policy wonk um, will be closer to understanding politics, policy, how policy affects individuals, how it affects the province, how it affects the rich, how it affects the middle class, how it affects the poor. I think that he is more, will be more in touch with the knowledge base that is necessary to be a successful premier for the people of Ontario. I think that he would do the best job of the three that are being offered to us right now. But I, I, I wonder whether he can sell that he, he, in, order, like, in order for people to feel that, they have to like the guy. Um, and I hope they managed to craft a campaign where they do like him. There was a there was a tweet today where he made a statement and the picture had him speaking, but his eyes were closed as he was speaking. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking who in his team approved a picture where his eyes are shut while he's talking like it's it, it's a terrible it's it's one of those pictures that people snap when you're not looking. And then you say, please, you wait, <laughs> yes. please delete it. Oh, my, yeah, my, my photo album is full of pictures of me like that. Yeah. And this is, this isn't fun in games. This is dealing with the, the, the future of the province. And that affects all of us living here. Don't put out a picture where the guy's eyes are shut. Just take the next frame where his eyes were open. And it's not like, well, you film is too expensive. It's, <laughs> you know, it's digital. Yeah. So I, I think, look at that. And I think these guys, because, Justin Trudeau's communication team is exceptionally poor, in my opinion. The uh, Liberals have done a very poor job ever since uh, Trudeau was elected in touting their successes. Um, They're very bad at getting messaging out. They're bad at the beginning of their campaigns to get the message out. And then they they just sort of let Justin be Justin and he, you know, he he turns on the charm and, and out come the votes. But Liberals just, conservatives are much shrewder with their messaging they know who they're messaging to and they stay on message that's what one of the things that hurt uh aaron o'toole was not staying on message during Mm -hmm. the election campaign Uh, conservatives would prefer that you that you stay on message and be wrong than correct yourself um and vary from the initial message that was put forward so the conservatives they understand messaging far better than liberals do and don't even start with the NDP. 
Yeah. No, I think that that's, you know, they, they have under, you know, they understand how to play the game and you see even a campaign like Pierre Paul Evs, um, you know, ter- you know, it doesn't resonate with me, the things he says, because I look at them and I go like, well, that's just a lie or, you know, or that is such a distortion that it might as well be a lie. But the messaging is consistent and, and it's been consistent with him for 15 years. Um, so there's, you know, there's a brand, there's a consistency and it reaches the people who he wants to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't broaden the tent at all, uh, but, it, you know, but it is incredibly rigorous, disciplined, you know, military precision messaging uh, that the conservatives have always been great at. And like you said, the liberals have been, you know, terrible with their messaging and, you know, it's vague. It can be really virtue signaling. Um, and they're, and they're, we've talked about this on the podcast, you know, at length that, you know, their crisis management, crisis messaging is horrific. I mean, they wear things like, you know, like the Wii scandal or like, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the, um, the SNC Lavalin thing, they wear them way longer than they should have been worn because you know, that they merited being, being talked about mm-hmm. because they were, they fumbled around and, and couldn't find the message and couldn't get it out consistently at the same time as the conservatives and the NDP um, are hammering them with the same talking points and just flooding them with a wall of that stuff. So that's what all you see, you know, the, so the liberals have been, been terrible at that kind of thing. And you'd hope that, and the, it used to be the old days uh, when you had a campaign coming up and you had a new uh, candidate, you'd bring in style managers, people who would teach you how to walk and talk and appear on, on a TV show and get rid of your annoying ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, anyone who's on a zoom meeting and you see yourself <laughs> afterwards, it's like, Oh man, I look up all the time or I look down when I'm talking and, and or, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm fidgeting with my ears or something. Yep. You know, they, they, they teach you how not to do that. Play to your strengths, even dress you. So you like, don't wear that color tie. You know, stop, you know, stop wearing, you know, that, that old ratty suit. Um, they, they, they manage your image in a way. I don't, I don't know if people do that. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with some people too, because they are who they are and they're resistant to training. And I guess there's something to be said for authenticity, but, you know, if your authenticity turns people off, then, you know, maybe politics isn't your job. See, I think one of the things that turns people off about Justin Trudeau is, especially his first term, all the virtue signaling, um, I think that there's a sense that it feels performative. That's why this whole thing about fake feminist got, got legs. Um, it, feel, it felt like a lot of his, what he was saying was performative. And people, even if they support the sentiment, they don't like performative virtue signaling. And I know some people who are uh, liberal by nature, hate his guts because they can't stand his the performances that he puts on. And as somebody who has spent some time with Justin Trudeau out of a spotlight, that isn't him. The, the him that they've been selling, or they especially sold during the first term, um, that's not the guy I know. Because the guy I know is much more the kind of person you can relate to as like a regular human being. This, this paragon of virtue thing, um, it, it just, there's, people can tell when something is false. People can tell when something is performative. And it's, I'm not saying that he doesn't believe in those values, because I think that he does. But the degree, the, the, the uh, dramatic lengths he went to and the rhetoric that he used, I th- you know, it was intended to kneecap the NDP. 
and to take soft NDP support away from the NDP and put it, park it with the Liberals. And it succeeded in doing that. But there, when he says things like, um, when he takes shots at, at, at hecklers in a crowd, you know, when there's that little bit of bite that comes out of him, yep. that's, and that always does well. There's those who say, oh, you shouldn't have done that, not prime ministerial. But there's more people who are like, I can relate to that guy as a human being now. Mm -hmm. And those are moments when he's not following a crafted message. He's being himself. And those authentic moments, I think, are the thing that, uh, that, that would help him get higher performance ratings, you know, because right now his approval rating is not very high. Um, and he, yet he did a great job in shutting down the uh, trucker convoy. He came in as he was the sheriff who came in and cleaned up town. And he's not getting, he didn't get a, a real bump from that. Um, he just need, they need to let him be a little bit more of a prick. Um, because people expect that from their, lead, their male leaders. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. I mean, and it, it translates into sort of toughness and seriousness as opposed to, uh, you know, talking about your feelings all the time. Yeah, yeah. People, they'll tolerate some of that, but not too much of it. And it was too much of an opera. Uh, I, he's, he's done less of that because after the blackface photos came out, it was just too hard to sell. <laughs> yes. Um, so and it put a, it put a damper on dressing up too. <laughs> yeah, it sure did. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, like, like I said, June is practically around the corner and yet at the same time, it's far away. Seems like far, far away. We've got a lot, to, lot of things to get through before we get to June. Yeah, and uh, we will continue to be here to provide our, our perspective on it for what it's worth. Um, so, Stephen, thank you again for, for talking with me. Hey, this is great. I, I always love it. And Stephen is Stephen Lawtons. He can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawtons, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. Um, you can find the work that I do uh, on newmusicnation.ca. Um, feel free, if you ever have any questions or suggestions, or topics you'd like us to cover, uh, please do send them to Stephen on his, uh, his Twitter. And that's it. Uh, Stephen, we will talk again next week. Looking forward to it. All right. He is Stephen Lawton's. I'm Stephen Kersner, and this has been Stephen and Stephen.